the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We always are delighted when you join us here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Once again, Alan Dempsey has on his engineer's cap, and uh, he is overseeing what we're doing here today. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produces our show each week, and I'm very pleased that Brian Gregg joins us in the first half hour, Associate Professor of Biblical Studies at the University of Sioux Falls in South Dakota, and the author of What Does the Bible Say About Suffering? Brian, wonderful of you to join me. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. Thanks for having me, Pat. What prompted you to get into what I would say is a very important topic? Well, everybody struggles with this issue, but it's really my first years of teaching that brought it to my attention in a a new kind of way. I, I teach at a Christian liberal arts university in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, called the University of Sioux Falls. And I teach um, upper division and, and lower division students. And it was particularly with those freshmen coming in and enrolling in my Intro to the Bible class that I noticed a pattern developing. People would come up and ask me questions after class, and so many of those questions had to do with suffering. Mm. Uh, I was, I think, a bit startled to see just how much suffering uh, these 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds had already experienced in their lives, and uh, was, frankly, a, a little concerned with some of their basic assumptions about suffering. Um, they, they clearly had felt a lot about this issue and were struggling with it in terms of what to make of how God was responding to their pain, but didn't really have the theological framework to, to know the best ways to approach that question. And so this book was born out of out of those early conversations, and, and took some years to develop. But um, I think it's it's landed in a pretty good place. Well, let's get started here. <clears throat> the uh, opening chapter: the two ways, suffering and the God of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, fill us in on that. Well, the, the premise of the book, uh, the, the approach that's a little different from a lot of what's been written before, is that there there really isn't one way that the Bible addresses the problem of suffering. Um, the, the analogy I use in the introduction is that it's a bit like listening to a good choir. Uh, there are lots of voices, you know, there are altos and sopranos and tenors and basses all going at once, and to appreciate fully the Bible's response to suffering, one needs to be able to hear that harmony together. Um, so often we are inclined to zero in on one particular uh, response to the problem of suffering found in the Bible and make it everything. And that's that's misguided and and ultimately kind of problematic. Um, 
So I, I walk through 12 different uh, approaches that the Bible takes, and the first one is the one you just raised. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the two ways is, is sort of the, the most basic Hebrew understanding uh, to emerge about why there is suffering, and it, it, it posits that essentially um, sin is, you know, is the, the cause of suffering insofar as God is punishing sinful behavior. So there is a very sort of basic reward and punishment um, idea behind the two ways. You see it in the first psalm of the Psalter, for instance, where it talks about the two ways and what it means to be planted well as opposed to um, not. Um, so so that's, that's the idea behind the two ways, and it, it is a, a very important sort of baseline, but as I said earlier, it, with any of these uh, responses to suffering, it's inadequate to take one of them and and run with it all the way. Uh, they need to be heard in concert with one another. Let's get to this topic. Sin is lurking at the door. Mm-hmm. Suffering and choice. Yeah. So, you know, this is sort of a variation on that first, uh, that first response to suffering in the Bible, that is the two ways. Uh, in the two ways, God is the one who is um, judging sin, and suffering is sort of in his hands at that point. The, the idea here behind uh, sin is lurking at the door is that, well, a lot of the suffering we experience is because of the sin of others. It's, it's, it's a byproduct, um, and sometimes our own sin. And so the, the, in that case, it, it's, it hasn't been initiated by God at all, um, but rather it's, it's part of this fallen world and our fallen nature. And so those first two together uh, give us a, a, a good picture of... Um, sort of the basics, why why there is suffering, even though God is uh, good and powerful. My guest is Brian Gregg. He joins us from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. What does the Bible say about suffering? That's the name of his book. Uh, IVP Academic put the book out. Now we get to the purposes of God, suffering, and the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the more complex chapters, in actual fact. Uh, the idea here, when we talk about sovereignty, is that God remains in control. Uh, sovereignty means a lot of different things, depending on your theological presuppositions. So um, I've certainly had a lot of students who think that sovereignty means that God um, God makes everything that happens happen, uh, whereas I think a more nuanced approach is, is quite uh, appropriate and important. Uh, specifically, the idea that sovereignty uh, means that God is ultimately the one who fulfills his plans and purposes. Uh, so we, we are tempted to assign lots of things to the purposes of God that may well stand beyond his purposes. And uh, we might you know, look at any particular kind of suffering we've experienced and think, oh, there's the, the hand of God at work again. Uh, when that just may not be the case. Um, I've had lots of students come to me and say things like, why did God uh, make my grandmother die in that car wreck? Or why did God uh, cause my sister to be raped? And I, I think those are the wrong sorts of, not the wrong sorts of questions, but the wrong way to approach the question. Um, I think in actual fact, God has not ordained those things. Uh, they fit into some of these other responses I've talked about. 
Uh, nevertheless, God does have plans and purposes. He makes that very clear in the Bible. And so we need to take that seriously, and occasionally suffering is involved in those plans and purposes. I, I don't think there's any place that that's more obvious than the suffering that uh, Jesus took on on our behalf, uh, which were very much part of the plans and purposes of God in his sovereign will. Brian Gregg is our guest. Brian, I want you to talk about the accuser, mm-hmm. suffering yeah. and the devil. Yeah. Yeah, I, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis I like in his book, The the screw tape letters, which says that our our two great propensities are to either ignore the devil or to make him the source of everything, um, and both of those are misguided. They're they're unhelpful. We need to take seriously the fact that the Bible talks about the devil. That uh, God has an enemy who is sort of like a I describe him as a, a vicious dog, but he's on a leash. Um, that God remains a greater power by far, and um, so he's not to be feared ultimately. Um, but the, the devil is responsible for a measure of suffering. Um, and so to write him out of the equation is, is to miss part of the Bible's response uh, to this important question. Brian, now talk to us about I am the mystery of suffering. Mm, yeah. Each one of these uh, chapters uh, is focused on a particular text that mm-hmm. uh, elucidates the, the, resp- the biblical response in question. So this I Am chapter comes out of, uh, uses the, the book of Job, which is a classic suffering book, as you well know, Pat. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea here is that there that our God is bigger than we can ever hope to be, uh, that he, he is incomprehensible on some basic level to us. And because of that, um, we see in Job that that God's answer to Job's plight, his suffering, uh, and, and his suffering is greatly, mis- very mysterious, uh, is simply his, his presence. My guest, Brian Gregg, will be back with Brian right after this, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. That's where you're listening. Uh, stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandek, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. This is a special notice to all U.S. taxpayers. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's good news. Due to the financial hardship many are facing in today's economy, the IRS has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems through a federal program called the Fresh Start Initiative. Qualifying for this program will resolve your tax problem and all collections and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program. your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-780-3232. 800-780-3232. 800-780-3232. That's 800-780-3232. 
Hello, I'm Pastor Glenn Riggs, inviting you to be our guest in celebrating all that the Lord has done and experience our pioneer spirit. We're excited to share Starlight Baptist new building with you. It's been several years in the making. We now can share God's Word with so many more souls in Central Florida through our many ministries here at Starlight. Please visit us at starlightbaptist.com. And don't miss the broadcast ministry of Starlight Baptist. What does the Bible say? Every weekday afternoon at 4 with Pastor Riggs, right here at the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Brian Gregg, Associate Professor of Biblical Studies at the University of Sioux Falls in South Dakota, has written a new book. It's called, What Does the Bible Say About Suffering? And Brian, before the break, you were talking about, I am the mystery of suffering. I'd like you to finish your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, uh... The idea that God's presence is enough. Uh, what's interesting about Job is, is on one level, that he, he doesn't get uh, an answer of the sort that he's looking for, but God does show up. God does respond to him, and uh, I think we can expect God to be faithful to us in that sort of way. Now let's move to the next topic, Brian, <clears throat> an interesting one indeed. God wins suffering <clears throat> and the future. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorites, and certainly uh, fills me with great hope. But uh, there's a there's a term we use in theology called eschatology, which is a way of talking about God's story and the way it it will end for us uh, in the course of history. And God wins is an affirmation that we have a a good destiny that God has assured that for us. Uh, his resurrection is a promise of our own resurrection that we will live with Him in eternity. Uh, if we're found in him. And uh, I love that, that, that sort of idea, God wins, that the story, this whole story, all of history, ultimately belongs to him, and he will have the final word when it comes to suffering. Now we move to this topic, <clears throat> running the race, suffering is training. That's an interesting one. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, some might call this soul-making or something along those lines. Uh, the idea here, and this is working with a, a passage in Hebrews, is that uh, the suffering we undergo is difficult and painful, but it's really part of a process of being trained, of maturing and growing. You think of your own uh, growth as an individual, and and so many of those critical moments of transformation center around uh, difficulties, challenges, hardships, and um, yeah, that's 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 the core of that of that chapter, that we are becoming somebody even through our suffering. Now we want you, I want you to talk about confronting the truth, <clears throat> suffering as testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is, what, what's that, what does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, training and testing are similar to one another, but testing has this added dimension of finding out what is actually true about ourselves. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a professor. I give tests all the time, and, and I... It's my way of seeing, well, have they actually internalized what I, have, I hope they have learned in this uh, last season of the class? Uh, there's a sense in which in our, our discipleship, our life with God, our, our faith walk, we are needing tests periodically. And so God does test us. The, the passage I use is from Exodus where it talks about uh, God testing his people in the wilderness to see if they've learned uh, and grown in their faith and trust in him from their experiences in Egypt when he was acting to deliver them. Um, obviously, that, those tests didn't go very well for them, and uh, 
and yet he's very patient. He continues to provide for them in their time of need in the hopes that they will pass the next series of tests. So again, all of these need to be taken in concert with one another. Uh, it's not as though all suffering is explained as a test from God, but this is another layer, another dimension to add to the overall picture. Now, how about this one? Jars of clay, suffering in the power of weakness. Mm, yeah, these are getting more mysterious as we go. Oh, yes. Um, this is from Second Corinthians, that famous uh, passage about us being jars of clay that hold the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea being that God not only uses our weakness, but sometimes our weakness serves him best. Uh, that passage makes it quite clear that if if we have much to glory in ourselves, then we're the ones that get pointed to. And, and sometimes God picks a, a person to, uh, who, who doesn't seem adequate in any way whatsoever, and it's precisely in that inadequacy, in that weakness, uh, in that frailty and suffering that they are able to point most clearly to the, the work and person of God himself. Uh, and so as Christians, we need to not be afraid of those moments of weakness, um, I think in our culture, we're, we're often terrified by weakness. <laughs> we, you know, we, we craft uh, sort of uh, representations of ourselves that, that suggest that we have no weaknesses, and of course that's not true. Uh, so to learn that our weaknesses uh, and the suffering that they bring can, can be an avenue to glorify God is what that chapter is pointing to. Now, um, Brian, I want you to get into Pass It On. Suffering in the comfort of God. Mm-hmm, yeah. In the midst of our suffering, it's important to know that we have a God who actively um, seeks to console and comfort us. Uh, he does draw near, and in ways that are sometimes inexplicable. Uh, he imparts uh, a peace to the mourning and the grieving uh, that can only have come from him. Uh, and as it turns out, that that consolation we receive from God is something that once we've received, we can play a role in passing on to others, not because we've um, experienced exactly the same suffering that they have, but because God has shown us that he cares, that he has moved in our lives, and we can express something of that movement to others when they find themselves in the midst of suffering. Let's get to the next topic, the uh, cruciform path, and you're going to have to explain that to glory, Mm -hmm, following God into suffering. Yeah. Well, when we look at our great model, Jesus, uh, Paul in particular often points us to Jesus as an exemplar, a a model, and he says, look, his life is going to be the model for ours. He he says in Corinthians 1 point that uh, the wisdom of God is summed up as Christ crucified, and, and that's an unpleasant thought for us in many ways that my life will follow the pattern of Christ crucified? Um, if you really you know, grapple with what crucifixion means, that's a terrifying notion. Uh, I, this is taken from the, the sort of the Christ hymn in Philippians, where it talks about uh, the way Jesus you know, took on flesh and lowered himself as one who was equal with God. He lowered himself to become a human being, and then he served as a human being, and ultimately ended up dying on the cross, uh, a shameful and law-breaking death. Uh, And so you take the one who has all authority, and he gives up everything he has, and that will be on some level the pattern for those who are called to follow him. Obviously, that will entail suffering, 
But that's not the end of the story. I mean, that same hymn goes on then to talk about how God takes him from that place and lifts him up and glorifies him. And uh, Paul calls us to share in that entire process. So as we as we submit ourselves to suffering, as we choose to walk in the way of God uh, embodied in Jesus, we can expect uh, difficulty and hardship, but we can also expect God to lift us up and glorify us and to do great things through us. This is part of how the power of God is unleashed. Uh, the, the great martyrs over time certainly are a testimony to this. And and there are way, smaller ways, obviously, in our lives that uh, this plays out as well. Brian Gregg is with us from South Dakota talking about his book, What Does the Bible Say About Suffering? Brian, uh, let's talk about to suffer for another, hmm. participation in the suffering of God. I- explain that. Yeah, this is probably the most mysterious of the bunch, aside from the one that is simply about the mystery of suffering. Um, that there's a way in which we're called to participate in God's own life. Uh, and, and part of what that means is uh, waiting on God to act uh, in the world, eschatologically, as I mentioned before, to redeem all things. Um, and, and part of this waiting involves suffering. Uh, we're waiting so that God might redeem other people. We're joining ourselves with God in uh, in the things that he is doing that involve suffering um, so that others might be saved. And um, it, this is drawn out of a uh, very interesting and mysterious line in Colossians about filling up the suffering of God in our bodies, uh, that we get to play a role in, in the intimate life of God, and, and on some level that will even include uh, his suffering for others. So yeah, it ends with a you know a quite a quite a deep thought, <laughs> um, and again one that's quite challenging to us. I think. Uh, I think this is the next topic uh, you need to uh, explain to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make it clear that discernment is necessary every step of the way. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, can you expand on that and and what that means? Yeah. Um, you know, the first step in discernment is, is recognizing the sorts of things we've been talking about, that that the right approach to uh, understanding what the Bible has to say about suffering isn't to latch onto a single idea and impose it on every circumstance, but instead to, uh, as a starting point, recognize that the Bible has a lot of different things to say about suffering, and they're all potentially very, very useful. Uh, the challenge, uh, Pat, is to link particular um, circumstances in our lives and eventualities with the, the helpful things that the Bible has been saying. Um, and that requires discernment. Um, that's going to require talking to God and listening to God and being open to what he has to say. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require um, reading the Scripture and becoming familiar with the kinds of things I've been talking about and letting God speak through the Scripture. It's going to require uh, being in community and letting other people speak to us about what they see in our lives and I personally have found this very useful. Um, you know, we, we I think, all are sort of hardwired to take one or two of these approaches and think, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the go-to. And sometimes it, it takes somebody else to say, I don't think that's what's going on uh, between you and God in this season of your life, in this particular suffering. Uh, so I, I personally have found that very freeing and very helpful. Uh, and uh, But it underscores the fact that discernment is, it's quite a necessary part of the whole process. Brian, do you think that suffering can result from the sinful choices of others? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's that's the premise behind Chapter 2. 
Uh, sometimes people do things, and uh, though it saddens and grieves God, there's a degree to which he um, maintains a hands-off posture when some of those things happen. Uh, and so we, we end up suffering. Uh, that's, I, I think, a, a really obvious biblical truism. Do you think the day is coming that God is going to declare final victory over suffering? Uh, what, what's your thought on that? Well, we know the day is coming. Uh, it is a given as far as Jesus is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're asking for the, the day and the hour, I, I do not know. And uh, the Son of Man says that he doesn't know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going with him on that. Um, but certainly we, we need to, to stay ready and watchful, um, eager for our final redemption. Brian, what's the conclusion to all this? Um, you know, that's it, an interesting question, Pat. It, it's, it's not, you know, entering into writing a book like this, I knew I wasn't going to find the answer. Uh, it's not that kind of book or that kind of topic. It's uh, maybe the most talked about topic in um, theology that has ever been. Um, how, do you, how does a, a monotheistic faith, which believes in a good and all-powerful God, wrestle with the problem of suffering and suffering of the innocents, um, no less. So uh, what I'm trying to do here is is to offer something of greater insight in terms of what the Bible does suggest to us. And it's, uh, though it's not a, an obvious black and white answer where you just apply this formula, uh, it nevertheless has a lot to say on this topic. And I think Knowing what the Bible has to say uh, gives us great hope, great comfort, and great insight into the suffering we experience. And so that's, that's my aim in this book, uh, that we both embrace the mystery that uh, will always be on one level, uh, and yet gain tools in our journey to, um, to think these things through more effectively with God. Brian Gregg, he's been our guest, the author of What Does the Bible Say About Suffering?, Brian, many thanks, and continued best wishes to you, sir. We will be back. We've got more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Is looking good important to you? Then what you wear and how it looks on you means a lot. Let's face it. Whether you wear a suit, uniform, or dickies to work, you probably spend a great deal on your clothes and you want to keep them looking good as new. That's where Priceless Dry Cleaners comes in. You can trust the folks at Priceless Dry Cleaners. They've been keeping clothes like new in Central Florida for over 25 years. And from the same location, North Orlando Avenue in Winter Park, across from Trader Joe's. Short on time? Let's face it. Who isn't? Family owned and operated, Priceless Dry Cleaners saves you time with free pay- Pickup and delivery from your home, shop, or office. If you want to keep your clothes looking newer, longer, then you need Priceless Dry Cleaners. 220 North Orlando Avenue, Winter Park, and in Altamont Springs at 851 State Road 436 in San Sebastian Square 2. Check out their business VIP club at pricelesscleaners.com, where groups with five or more members get 25% off dry cleaning. Priceless Dry Cleaners, because looking good and having a dry cleaner you know you can trust is important to you. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. 
That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Do you have enough drinking water at home or work? Or whatever life throws at you. This is Florida, and you can never have enough good, wholesome drinking water on hand for meetings, family gatherings, even Mother Nature's wrath. Be prepared with Carolina Highland Mountain Spring Water delivered directly to your home or business. Call now for their Be Prepared delivery special. Individual bottles, dispensers, and coolers. No contracts, no fees. Call 407-851-7144. Online at carolinabottledwater.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Brian Gregg, our guest in that first half hour from uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And we stay out in the Midwest because Jennifer Dukesley is with us from her farm in northwest Iowa, uh, author of The Happiness Dare. Jennifer, great to talk to you. How you doing? Well, I am doing great. And you were talking with someone from South Dakota, from Sioux Falls. That is just a few, like 30 minutes away from my farm. No kidding. No yes. kidding. Just across the border? Just across the border. How about that? Well, we'll just, we'll just stay right out in your area. Okay. By the way, before we get into your book, uh, tell me about the farm. I mean, that sounds interesting to us down here in Florida. Fill Absolutely. Us, fill me in on the farm. Well, this is a fourth-generation family farm, 125 years of Lee men operating this farm. My husband is Scott, and uh, he actually went to law school, and I was a news reporter, and there was something very alluring about farm life when we began to have children, and um, he felt called to move back to the farm, and it, it was timed with our uh, with with uh, God moving in our lives, and we ended up here, and we farm about seven hundred acres mm. of corn and soybeans, and then we also have pigs. How many? Oh, at any given time, about one thousand. No kidding. Yes. So, what is that like every day? Well, uh, Scott has chores every morning and every evening for the pigs, of course. And then uh, the crops are very busy in the spring, of course, with um, planting and then in uh, the fall with harvesting. And in those intervening months, it really is a case of this is the Lord's work. It is very much reminds us of what it's like uh, to live a spiritual life and to plant seeds and to watch them grow and to rely on the Lord for everything we need to to uh, provide for us. Uh, we're going to get to your book in a minute, Jennifer, but you have really intrigued us now. Uh, <laughs> oh, so the, it's a wonderful life up here in Iowa. So do the pigs run wild? Where are the pigs? Are they all over the place? Or are they... Well, they're in several different barns in um, our, over by my mother-in-law, who's still living, mm-hmm. um, and then some over by us as well. So he, has a, he, he moves around a lot to take care of a lot of different pigs, indeed. Oh, my. Okay, Jen. Now let's get to this book. Okay. We, we, I, could, I could ask farming questions all day here. <laughs> then we might need to see if Scott can come, because you've about reached the point of where I am, will no longer be able to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your book, The Happiness Dare, finding the sweet spot of your heart's deepest, holiest, and most vulnerable desire. Wow, yeah. Ooh, what know, a title, I, huh? What's, what's all that mean? Well, here's what this means. I, I believe, I know that deep inside, we all want the same thing. Every listener on the other side of our voices right now wants the same thing, and it is happiness. We want happy lives. We want happy marriages, if we're married, happy children. We want happy workplaces. But as Christians, we don't know if that's even something we should hope for. We think, well, joy is certainly something that God cares about. And, you know, God cares about our holiness, but does He care about our happiness, too? And I began 
to take what I felt like was a dare from God to discover this rich virtue of happiness. And I took that dare and found, indeed, God does care about happiness. And it begins by understanding that God is a happy God who happily created us to love Him and enjoy Him forever. And that Jesus, when He walked this earth, was not just a man of sorrows, but also a man of great joy and happiness, the kind of man who children children would run to, right? I mean, let the children come to me, and there they came. And no child in his or her right mind runs to a grumpy person. They run to the happy uncle and to the guy in church whose eyes sparkle because of that smile. That's who, that's the kind of men that, um, that children are interested in running to, and that's the kind of man that Jesus was. And so if we are going to be more like God, if we are going to be more like our Savior Jesus Christ, one of the holiest desires that we have really is happiness, because that's who he was. And it has really changed me. When I took that dare and began to explore happiness, I describe it as a feeling of almost like swallowing a star. Mm. (laughs) It made me feel warm and bright on the inside. And I've learned through taking that dare that happiness doesn't just affect my own life, but it affects those around me. The old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when mom is happy, the kids are happier, my home is happier, the people in my life are happier. It doesn't mean that I don't have sad days or seasons of, uh, you know, some darkness in my life, but I always know that the light is still in reach and that happiness is still possible. Jennifer Dukes-Lee is with us. Uh, Jennifer, there are five uh, major topics uh, that I think we need to cover, and I'm, I'll, I'll lay them out for you first of all. Uh, talk about the true relationship between happiness and holiness, Uh, We're we're taught really that God cares only about our holiness, not our happiness. Uh, Expand on that first important uh, foundational piece of your book. Well, I felt that way for sure. And that's why when I prayed to God, I want to be happy, I thought, whoa, did I seriously just pray that out loud? (laughs) I mean, this is something maybe we should whisper about. I have, I'm on Pinterest, and um, if your listeners know what Pinterest is, you can pin uh, recipes, but you can also pin sayings on your Pinterest boards. I had one on there before I took the stare that said, God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. And I don't believe that anymore, but I did. And many Christians are taught that God cares only about our holiness and not our happiness. And and they're also taught that there's this big difference between joy and happiness. And I, I think that's a real shame because as I began to explore happiness and holiness, I began to discover that Happiness is not the evil cousin of holiness or the evil cousin of joy. Um, Because God is a happy God, it automatically makes the virtue of happiness holy, because God is holy. And because we are made in His image, we are called to what I call happy holiness or holy happiness. They're entwined. Happiness is not apart from holiness. Happiness is a part of holiness. I thought back when I took that dare to the time when I was happiest in my life, and God gave me this beautiful memory, and it was a time when I went to what I call adult Bible camp. We even had bunk beds, and uh, we uh, stayed up too late, and, and, and we really grew together in the Lord during that weekend. 
And when I came home, the circumstances in my life hadn't changed, but I had. And one of the big changes that I felt in my life was a deep and abiding and sustaining happiness that wasn't tied to anything other than the fact that I just grew in my holiness, that I just had spent a weekend growing closer than I ever had before to a holy God. So we talk about in our country the pursuit of happiness. So what I have entered into is a holy pursuit of happiness. This isn't the kind of happiness that is selfish, a do-whatever-makes-you-happy kind of happiness, but a happiness that really delights in the Lord and delights in the gift that He has given us to enjoy Him during our time here on earth. And there is so much to enjoy, so much to remind us of a holy and happy God right here in our everyday lives. Jennifer uh, Dukesley is with us. We're talking about her book, The Happiness Dare. And you explain or you write, Jennifer, that there are five styles of happiness and that God has wired each of us uniquely to experience happiness right where we are. Is that correct? Yes, that is, and it's one of the most exciting parts about this happiness journey. It was for me, and now it is, as um, hundreds and thousands of people have begun to take this test that I have created. It's an assessment available online at thehappinessdare.com. People take that test, and in just under five minutes, they can find out what their true happiness style is. There's five styles, and they're really based on the five main determinants of happiness. And you think about what makes you happy right now, you and and what makes your listeners happy, and it's probably a combination of these. Believing that your life has purpose, uh, believing that you belong to a community, having a sense of belonging is so important, Um, pulling happiness from moments and experiences in your life, everything from uh, walking your daughter down the aisle to stepping outside on the deck and watching the sunset tonight. So those experiences. Another is helping others feel loved and cherished. And then a fifth main determinant, of happy, main determinant of happiness is to use the power of our minds to learn and analyze and plan and dream. So I looked at all five of those types, and out of those were born five happiness styles, really like happiness personalities, the doers, relators, experiencers, givers, and thinkers. And all of us, because we're made in the image of God, we're a combination of all five of those sort of happiness personalities, but most of us have one kind of style that rises to the top because of the way we're wired by God. So like on a Saturday night, a relator is excited about the block party that's planned down at the end of the cul-de-sac. A thinker might have thought beforehand, man, I'm weird. I don't really want to go to the block party. I just want to stay home and watch a documentary on TV tonight or read a book. And that experiencer might want to take a hike through the neighborhood park or watch the sunset over the lake. And a doer might actually want to weed the garden And so what's been interesting about this personality test is that men and women are discovering, like, hey, this isn't what makes me weird. It's what makes me wonderful. Like, God created me as a doer or a giver or a thinker. And uh, not to feel bad about that, but to really nurture those happiness styles. So fun. Let's talk about the next topic, Jen, Uh, the four main obstacles to happiness. Uh, What are they? Well, one of them is, there's four major ones, and... um, One of them is, if I only had, and then you fill in the blank, if Mm. I only had a nicer house, a more attentive husband, a better job, if only I could lose 10 pounds, whatever that is. And so the answer to that is to be grateful for what we already have instead of wishing for what could be. That is an automatic way to boost your happiness. But there is so much happiness lost when we wish for something that that we don't have. Another... um, one that really steals happiness is if I could just be like him or if I could just be like her. We have that 
the grass is greener on the other side it, with regard to happiness so much. If uh, my husband was like hers, it would be different. If I had a job like hers, it would be different. And so the answer to that is, you know, instead of wishing for her life or his life, I will find happiness in my own. Um, there's another one that's, uh, this is just the way I am, that I can't change. God just made me this way, and I'm just kind of a melancholy person, and I'm not going to get any happier. But I quote some really wonderful scientific research in the book that shows that little by little, we can become happier by changing the way we think. And then the last one is that my life circumstances make happiness an impossible dream. And the answer to that is to actually use happiness as a wonderful and powerful weapon to, like, really actively fight for happiness, even when life is hard, to continue when you're in that dark valley to reach that hand out toward the light and believe that happiness is possible. And that is so important because all of us in this life are going to go through times that just seem unbearable. And that is okay. It's okay to not be okay. But that knowing that because we are in Jesus, the light is on up ahead if we just hold on. And throughout the book, I give very practical hands-on things that we can do in five minutes every day to to boost our happiness and to get over those obstacles that stand in our way. Can you give me a couple of them before the break? Sure. Uh, one of them is um, lingering. Um, this is a very important one. Uh, lingering, in, and studies show that this is so important. Lingering is when we take time out of our day to pause and think good thoughts about what has just happened. So, for instance, I am a doer. I love my to-do list. My happiness style is doer. So what can happen sometimes is when I cross something off of my list, I can quickly move on to the next task thinking, well, that was great, but now i got to get this done, instead of lingering on what just got accomplished. So when I get off this call today with you, I will linger in the good conversation we had before I do my next task, which is accomplish something that I have a deadline at 2 p.m. for. My guest is Jennifer Dukes-Lee, the author of The Happiness Dare. Uh, We've got more with Jennifer right after this. Here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call Select Quote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm Select Quote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if Select Quote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-509-1667. That's 1-800-509-1667. 1-800-509-1667. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors now available in all states. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. 
Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. What's new at the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, Addison's Walk, Saturday afternoons at 4. Welcome to Addison's Walk. This is Michael Phillips. I am the headmaster of Smith Prep, and I am the host of Addison's Walk. We are right now in the process of introducing the subject of what is the church. few questions that are as important as this one. It's going to be a lively discussion. I'm excited about it. All new Saturday afternoons at 4, Addison's Walk, only on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Addison's Walk is a ministry of the Smith Prep Education Foundation. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Jennifer Dukesley is with us, author of The Happiness Dare. She's with us from her farm in northwest Iowa. And uh, if you're uh, 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 open to praying, uh, they need more rain in northwest Iowa. So, uh, Jennifer, we're going to get uh, Floridians united here to pray for rain in northwest Iowa, because I'll tell you, we got plenty of it here in Orlando. I've heard. Yeah. Every, every day we get rain, so we're going to shoot it up your way with God's blessing. By the way, I want to go back uh, to where we were before the break. Uh, what people can do in five minutes a day to boost their happiness, because I think you've got more to tell us there. Well, sure. Let me just give you a couple others. Um, one of them is to every day, um, and I would encourage and challenge your listeners today to do this, is to uh, make a list every day of three things that made you smile. Even if they are little things, just take three minutes, just take a few minutes every day to write down three things that made you smile, and then do that tomorrow and for the next seven days. And then I want your listeners to look back on that list of three a day and see all of the blessing and all of the, the smiles that God gave to them over the past seven days. So what's happening then is uh, you're experiencing in-the-moment happiness uh, when it happens, and you're experiencing what's called residual happiness when you reflect back on what has happened. And you also experience what I call anticipatory happiness because you begin every day to scan your world for those three things that you're going to add to your list. So that's triple the happiness. Another is to um, give yourself the satisfaction of doing one five-minute good deed per day. My nephew, Brennan, uh, works as an automobile salesman, and every morning he cleans the parking lot of litter, not because it's in his job description, but simply because it makes him happy to help. All those little kinds of what I call happiness hacks, five minutes or less to boost your happiness, they really work. Here's an important one, Jen, Um, and, and we can't forget this one. The importance of sadness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want you to expand on that, and wh- why is that important? Well, it starts with thinking about what the shortest verse is in the New Testament. Jesus wept. He wept at the, at the tomb of a friend. Um, we cannot really have true happiness without knowing that Jesus wept. Real happiness acknowledges that the same God who created the salt in your tears is the very God who bottles everything, bottles every tear up. And it would be a terrible thing if we were to demand that people be happy all the time. I mean, that would offend the sensibilities of a hurting world. The Bible tells us for sure that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but still we grieve. 
And there are times ahead for all of us where misery and strife are just going to feel overwhelming, or maybe right now for your listeners or for you, the, that it's dark, but the light is up ahead. And I just think that we need to take the time we need to reach the light, to walk slowly if we must. I feel like along the way, it would, we need to feel all of our feelings, and that's us getting in touch with our humanity. So many people spend life running away from what makes them feel sad, and they might numb their feelings with alcohol or retail therapy or food. But no one will ever find real happiness if they feed their sad selves that kind of false happiness. So feeling sad is a part of what makes happiness more real and durable. And we're not interested in a kind of happiness that doesn't allow us to grieve or have hurt feelings when we have reasons to feel hurt and sad. So um, it's okay to not be okay, like we talked about a little bit earlier. It's okay to not be okay, but the light is on up ahead. Jennifer, um, fighting for happiness, even on the hard days, uh, is it worth it? I think it is. Um, actually, I know it is. Uh, I talked to some people who, in, in my um, everyday life here, have gone through some really hard things, cancer diagnosis, uh, the loss of a child, and they have shared with me how happiness really became a tool that they used uh, to push back the pain in their lives. Like, they had to seek happiness every day in just some small thing, and they saw it as a strength, something that they could wield like a weapon. And in Nehemiah, it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that means that joy and happiness have strength. They have muscle, and I know it's really hard, but happiness can be like venom to the enemy of your soul. So you probably know from high school health class that there's this chemical called serotonin inside of us. Well, God gave us that chemical to help us experience feelings of happiness. But what you might not know is that animals also have, some animals also have serotonin, and it's animals with venom, like, you know, sea urchins, scorpions, spiders, stingrays. They have serotonin. And the chemical that makes us feel happy is the same chemical that works in them as a weapon. So we have that chemical, like a venom, in our own personal arsenal. And and I just believe that happiness is the venom against whatever tries to harm us, and it's a weapon against a prowling enemy, just like those animals use that venom of of serotonin against their enemy. Jennifer Dukes-Lee is our guest from northwest uh, Iowa. She's at our farm and uh, telling us about farm life in this wonderful book called The Happiness Dare. Uh, And uh, one other thing, Jennifer, you need to tell us about your small country church. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's that like? Tell me about it. It is wonderful. My church is, if I look out the bedroom window, I can see it across our own fields. It's a mile away as the crow flies, and we have about 70 or 80 people attending church on a Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, ranging in age from six weeks old to 95. Mm. So many generations, and some some days we're belting out the hymns in our church, and some Sundays we're singing along with Chris Tomlin or Lincoln Brewster or Mercy Me, and uh, we really feel like a family there. Uh, it's so wonderful to be in this church that has been sitting on that hillside for um, 125 years, the family of God that just enfolds enfolds each other. It, it almost feels like, I describe it as going to church in the living room. <laughs> it's small and cozy, and uh, all the family is there, from the, the babies to the great-grandparents. the great grandparents. Uh, Tell me, um, are, are all the people there in the farming business? Not all, but because we're in a rural community, um, most of our jobs are influenced by how the farming economy is doing, because farming is 
so rooted in the entire economy of our region, of the heartland. So even if you're not exactly in farming, if you're a car salesman, for instance, um, if people are going to buy cars, it depends on how well uh, the farmers are doing. So uh, it's all very intertwined. But I would say there are, you know, maybe 25% that are actively farming in our church. Can I ask you a few more farming questions? I will do my best to answer them. How do you feed a thousand pigs a day? Well, there's very, there's a very mechanized process to this, and so that they get the right amount of food and the right amount of water they need, and it's. So much, all of farming is so much more complicated than it used to be when you had like a few pigs and a few chickens and a few cows roaming around in your yard. Mm-hmm. Um, even the, the tractors and the, and the combines, the harvesting equipment has the GPS on it that people could just let go of the steering wheel and let the, the machines do the work. It's very complicated, very uh, mechanized uh, systems that help us to operate this farm. And how do you know when it's time to send little piggy to the market? When they, when we think they will make good bacon, <laughs> they get over you know two hundred and some pounds, and then it, then then it's time that the the trucks come in, and we have to say goodbye to our our pig friend. Is that hard? Well, you know what it was, especially when we've had um, ones that are dearer to us. Like we had a couple of uh, bucket caps for four uh, H, and when they when they are named and they become more a part of our family in that way, mm. it becomes very difficult to say goodbye. Although our bucket calves, we know that they went on to live on, an, on another farm and are still with us. <laughs> uh, final word uh, on your new book. You've got 20 seconds to give us a challenge. Well, I challenge you today to take part in a spiritual discipline of happiness. We know that we have spiritual disciplines of prayer and spiritual disciplines of fasting and so on, but just like you had to train for that marathon that you did, mm-hmm. um, I had to train for a half marathon, and at first I couldn't get to the mailbox and back, but then the next day I went a little farther, and the next day I went a little bit farther, and pretty soon I was running 13.1 miles. And the good news is we're not doing that alone. We are together with Jesus Christ. He's done all the hard work for us, securing the promise of eternal happiness and promising us moments of happiness, too, when we reach that finish line. Jennifer Dukes-Lee has been our guest, The Happiness Dare, the name of her book. Uh, We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950. WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Jennifer Dukesley is with us, author of The Happiness Dare. She's with us from her farm in northwest Iowa. And uh, if you're uh, 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 open to praying, uh, they need more rain in northwest Iowa. So, uh, Jennifer, we're going to get uh, Floridians united here to pray for rain in northwest Iowa, because I'll tell you, we got plenty of it here in Orlando. I've heard. Yeah. Every, every day we get rain, so we're going to shoot it up your way with God's blessing. By the way, I want to go back 
uh, to where we were before the break. Uh, what people can do in five minutes a day to boost their happiness, because I think you've got more to tell us there. Well, sure. Let me just give you a couple others. Um, one of them is to every day, um, and I would encourage and challenge your listeners today to do this, is to uh, make a list every day of three things that made you smile. Even if they are little things, just take three minutes, just take a few minutes every day to write down three things that made you smile, and then do that tomorrow and for the next seven days. And then I want your listeners to look back on that list of three a day and see all of the blessing and all of the the smiles that God gave to them over the past seven days. So what's happening then is uh, you're experiencing in-the-moment happiness uh, when it happens, and you're experiencing what's called residual happiness when you reflect back on what has happened. And you also experience what I call anticipatory happiness, because you begin every day to scan your world for those three things that you're going to add to your list. So that's triple the happiness. Another is to um, give yourself the satisfaction of doing one five-minute good deed per day. My nephew, Brennan, uh, works as an automobile salesman, and every morning he cleans the parking lot of litter, not because it's in his job description, but simply because it makes him happy to help. All those little kinds of what I call happiness hacks, five minutes or less to boost your happiness, they really work. Here's an important one, Jen, Um, and, and we can't forget this one. The importance of sadness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want you to expand on that, and wh- why is that important? Well, it starts with thinking about what the shortest verse is in the New Testament. Jesus wept. He wept at the, at the tomb of a friend. Um, we cannot really have true happiness without knowing that Jesus wept. Real happiness acknowledges that the same God who created the salt in your tears is the very God who bottles everything, bottles every tear up. And it would be a terrible thing if we were to demand that people be happy all the time. I mean, that would offend the sensibilities of a hurting world. The Bible tells us for sure that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but still we grieve. And there are times ahead for all of us where misery and strife are just going to feel overwhelming, or maybe right now for your listeners or for you, that it's dark, but the light is up ahead. And I just think that we need to take the time we need to reach the light, to walk slowly if we must. I feel like along the way, we need to feel all of our feelings, and that's us getting in touch with our humanity. So many people spend life running away from what makes them feel sad, and they might numb their feelings with alcohol or retail therapy or food. But no one will ever find real happiness if they feed their sad selves that kind of false happiness. So feeling sad is a part of what makes happiness more real and durable. And we're not interested in a kind of happiness that doesn't allow us to grieve or have hurt feelings when we have reasons to feel hurt and sad. So um, it's okay to not be okay, like we talked about a little bit earlier. It's okay to not be okay, but the light is on up ahead. Jennifer, um, fighting for happiness, even on the hard days, uh, is it worth it? I think it is. Um, actually, I know it is. Uh, I talked to some people who, in, in my um, everyday life here, have gone through some really hard things, cancer diagnosis, uh, the loss of a child, and they have shared with me how happiness really became a tool that they used uh, to push back the pain in their lives. 
Like they had to seek happiness every day in just some small thing, and they saw it as a strength, something that they could wield like a weapon. And in Nehemiah, it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that means that joy and happiness have strength. They have muscle. And I know it's really hard, but happiness can be like venom to the enemy of your soul. So you probably know from high school health class that there's this chemical called serotonin inside of us. Well, God gave us that chemical to help us experience feelings of happiness. But what you might not know is that animals also have, some animals also have serotonin, and it's animals with venom, like, you know, sea urchins, scorpions, spiders, stingrays, they have serotonin. And the chemical that makes us feel happy is the same chemical that works in them as a weapon. So we have that chemical, like a venom, in our own personal arsenal. And, and I just believe that happiness is the venom against whatever tries to harm us, and it's a weapon against a prowling enemy, just like those animals use that venom of serotonin against their enemy. Jennifer Dukes-Lee is our guest from Northwest Ar- uh, Iowa. She's on our fa- at our farm and uh, telling us about farm life in this wonderful book called The Happiness Dare. Uh, and uh, one other thing, Jennifer, you need to tell us about your small country church. Mm. Uh, if, what's that like? Tell me about it. It is wonderful. My church is, if I look out the bedroom window, I can see it across our own fields. It's a mile away as the crow flies, and we have about 70 or 80 people attending church on a Sunday, mm-hmm. um, ranging in age from six weeks old to 95. Mm. So many generations, and some some days we're belting out the hymns in our church, and some Sundays we're singing along with Chris Tomlin or Lincoln Brewster or Mercy Me, and uh, we really feel like... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.